1: Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is The Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive industry and its supporting ecosystem, and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham.
2: Welcome, 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 welcome. If you want to help world make the world a better place, it's time to run or drive with the Game Changers. And this is the right place. Welcome to the Future of Cars with Game Changers Radio. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. Oh, my. Listen to this. Starsky Robotics emerged from a year and a half in stealth. I love that word. To unveil its end-to-end driverless trucking technology a few days earlier, Embark Bark did the same. This is a quote I picked up from Trucks.com. Okay, everybody out there, do you remember, if you were ever a kid, do you remember playing with, with remote control toy cars? A lot of you probably do. Well, I have a reality check. I want you to put your seatbelt on early in the show right now and brace yourself. Real-life remote control vehicles called teleoperations, T-E-L-E operations, could become a grown-up reality by as early as 20. 20 that's not far off for long-haul trucks and taxis oh my really yes but what are the implications of all this these two industries trucking and taxis employ millions all over the world how will remote control vehicles and I'm using the generic term vehicles advisedly because we have different industries with different purposes how will they coexist on our streets and on our highways with the cars the rest of us are driving as in human operated cars uh-huh i don't know who gets to break first who makes that right at the at the roundabout in cambridge massachusetts who has the yield sign and Who is driving this trend? Pund intended. Who is driving this trend? There's a lot to consider. Of course, we've assembled a panel of experts to help us sort this all out. This is an exciting time for automotive industry. Let me just tell you who they are, and then we'll get started. First up, of course, we couldn't do a show without Heather Ashton, Research Manager at IDC Manufacturing Insights. I'll be speaking with her in just a moment. Joining us is a gentleman who hasn't been on for a while. We're happy to have him back. It's Bill Powell, Director of Enterprise Architecture for Automotive Resources International. You may know them as ARI, the largest privately held fleet management company in the world. And rounding out the panel is a gentleman who also hasn't been on for quite a while, welcoming back Bill Newman. William, he goes by Bill in quotes, Newman, North America Strategic Industry Advisor at SAP. Happy to have you back. I'll probably have to distinguish between the two Bills, uh, Bill Powell and then Bill Newman. I'll either say your last name or I won't say Newman, I promise. We won't pull a Seinfeld on you. I might call you William from time to time, though, or it'd just be Bill P. and Bill N. You know who you are. So let's go around the table. Heather Ashton has sent me a wonderful quote from Julie Garwood. I didn't know who she was. An American writer... Of over 27 romance novels in the historical and suspense subgenre. She also went by the name, has gone by the name Emily Chase, which is a team of writers. If you don't know Julie Garwood, Brace yourself. She has over 35 million copies of her books in print, at least 24 New York, at least, I thought that was right, on Wikipedia, Heather, they say she has at least 24 New York Times bestsellers. She also wrote a, a novel for young adults called A Girl Named Summer. And here is the quote Heather has selected. He, and Heather inserted, or she, he or she who controls the remote controls the world. Heather Ashton, how have you been? Pretty well, Bonnie, and yourself. I'm fine, thank you very much. We have a little surprise coming in a few minutes on the show. You know what we're going to do, but we're going to keep a keep keep soldiering on and driving straight ahead for now. Tell me something, Julie Garwood. Uh, are are you a fan? Do you read all of her
3: books? I cannot say I'm a fan. I can probably say my mother is a fan, Um, but I. uh, But when I was looking for a quote about this whole remote teleoperations, this is one of the ones that came up, and I just thought it was perfect because she is, of course, talking about you know remote the remote and the the control for the TV, right? Which is is a a long standing battle between people who coexist within a house. Um, But I wanted to, of course, pull that out and apply it to to what we're talking about today, which is teleoperations. And but what. I, you know, the real reason I think that um, I was drawn to this was the word control, because I think that's at the crux of this entire matter, is that I think around autonomous driving and self-driving, and today we're talking about the remote-operated trucks, it comes down to control, and are humans willing to cede control? Are we worried that, you know, the machines are going to take over? Um, so I, I just thought it was a, it was a very um, apropos type of quote for today.
2: It absolutely is. And, and Heather, it also goes back to my opening question, one of my, my uh, I don't know, a conundrum, perhaps. I said, who will operate, how will we coexist humans driving vehicles versus these driverless vehicles, the taxis, oh, my, and the trucks? Uh, so, So the question of who will control the road, should we change remote to road, Heather? Any quick thoughts on that as we open? What do you think?
3: Yeah, I think. I do. I think, I think it is who will control the road, the road, the roadways, and there's so many implications and so many, you know, different sort of players that all need to to work together to figure that out in a safe way and in a way that's going to be productive for our society going forward.
2: Thank you very much. Productive and smooth on the road. I wonder if we'll have road rage. Do you think that we'll have road rage or how would it be?
3: I think that's going to go away a little bit. I really do, which, which means it will—it'll kind of morph into some other kind of rage, right? That's true. <laughs> or maybe,
2: maybe the human-driven cars will have more rage at the driverless vehicles instead of at the other humans. That could be interesting. That could be very interesting. Thank you very much, Heather. And now let's welcome back Bill Powell from ARI. And Bill has sent us a wonderful quote from George Bernard Shaw. Surprise, surprise, on a show about cars. George Bernard Shaw insisted that he simply be called Bernard Shaw. Hmm. He lived from 1856 to 1950, an Irish playwright, critic, and polemicist whose influence on Western theater, culture, and politics Politics extended from the 1880s to his death and beyond. You may know him as the author of, say, a playwright, 60 plays, including Man and Superman from 1902, Pygmalion, a.k.a. My Fair Lady, 1912, and St. Joan, 1923. He won the Nobel Prize in Literature in 1925. Here is the quote Bill Powell has selected. Both optimists and pessimists contribute to our society. The optimist invents the airplane and the pessimist the parachute. Bill Powell, welcome back. I love this quote. How have you been, Bill? Oh,
4: I've been terrific. How have you been, Bonnie?
2: I'm fine, thank you. Love the quote. Now, now, how does this relate to our topic? This is going to be interesting.
4: Well, I love this quote also. I was looking around like Heather and, and others and trying to find some uh, you know, quote that really ties into what we're talking about. And... And, and this one really jumped out at me, and the reason for it is because, as we'll get into today, this discussion is going to be pretty, pretty good. There's, there's pros and cons of, of most anything you do in life, and uh, this is a big one. And, um, you know, and I relate this to how the optimists see things and how the pessimists see things. You know, you, it, it's difficult to push the needle forward without having both of these people, and I equate this to having more of a balance in life right, and a balance in technology to, to really push that needle forward
2: bill are you an optimist are you a pessimist are you inventing the airplane or the would you invent the driverless truck I know trucking is your fleet management is your business or would you get the parachute and maybe that's the airbag I don't know what, what, what how do you sit on that on that continuum from optimism to pessimism about remote controlled vehicles bill
4: well, I'm not a parachute type of guy Bonnie I just uh, you know put my foot down and go forward so uh, I'm on the optimist side. <laughs>
2: I wasn't expecting that, but it definitely got a smile. Thank you very much, Bill, and welcome back. A lot more to hear from you. And now let's round out the panel with our other Bill, William Bill Newman at SAP. And Bill N. has sent us a quote from the Wizard of Id ID. I actually pulled up a little cartoon here. have it in my notes, Bill, so I can get in the mood. Wizard of Id is a daily newspaper comic strip created by American cartoonists Brant Parker and Johnny Hart. Beginning in 1964, the strip follows the antics of a large cast of characters in a shabby medieval kingdom called Id. From time to time, the king refers to his subjects as Id Yats. I put that, I separated that out of respect. The title is a play on the Wizard of Oz, of course, combined with Freudian psychological term id, which represents the instinctive and primal part of the human psyche. When when we talk about road rage, I think we've got the id involved there. Here is the quote Bill Newman has selected from Wizard of Id, and this is from precisely May 3rd, 1965. Oh my. Remember the golden rule. Whoever has the gold makes the rules. Bill Newman, how are you?
5: I'm, I'm good, Bonnie. Good morning, and good morning to everybody today.
2: Good morning. Talk to me about your quote. This is a great one.
5: Well, you know, it, it's funny because it goes back to the 60s, but I think it's pretty relevant today. Um, we, we talk to a lot of people in the automotive space, and the question is who's, who's going to own the fleet um, you know, invariably comes up. And, and, and not everybody necessarily wants to. Not everybody has figured out how to monetize the fleet, where they want to play. And we'll even go so far as to pick up to what Heather was saying earlier. Where's it going to operate? Now, if you're Elon Musk, you're thinking of digging tunnels. And Elon is a visionary, and he has a lot of capital behind him. And maybe some of the fleet will operate in tunnels. Some people want to go above ground or stay you know terrestrial on 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 the road surface and just basically make our freeways and highway systems work for you know autonomous fleets. so, It's going to be interesting to see what happens. You know, no no standards or guidelines have really come out yet. Um, We'll talk about it today, but uh, it's an exciting time to be, and there's going to be a lot of influence and a lot of lobbying that requires uh, a lot of cash behind that that opinion that's going to be um, put on the table, I think, over the next uh, several years. So exciting times.
2: It is absolutely they are and and Bill, are you the optimist or the pessimist? Going back to the question I asked Bill Powell, are you inventing the uh, the driverless car? Or are you inventing the airbag or the uh, the button that ejects the driver in in periods of oh my god, who goes first? <laughs> Which one are you?
5: Um, I like to say that I'm the realist, so I believe in a safe autonomous driving experience for everybody. I, I do think that it will um, change how we believe and not jumping too far ahead, I do think it's gonna change what we consider driving as we've talked on your shows before. I don't I don't think our grandkids are gonna have driver's licenses and I think it's gonna provide a lot of mobility for, for those of us who, who will age nicely into this period of great technological advances in the world of automotive and, and transportation. So I'm I'm definitely excited for it and um, you know, hoping that we can do it Um, safely with eyes wide open and uh, looking forward to the conversation today.
2: Oh, eyes wide open. We only wish. We wish that was the case now where we have 99.9% human-operated vehicles. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? Thank you, Bill Newman. And now we're going to circle around the table and ask our panelists, A, where are you calling from? And B, what's in your cup today or what would you rather be drinking? And then we have a little bit of a surprise when I go through all of the panels. So first, Heather, Ashton, where are you? And what's in your cup or what would you rather be drinking that makes
3: you really, really smile? I am on the North Shore of Massachusetts in Ipswich um, today, north of Boston, and uh, as far as drinking, I have fallen in love hard for cold brew coffee that I have Mm. figured out how to make myself Bonnie. so I'm saving myself money. I argue that that's okay, (laughs) that I have this um, affinity for a rather expensive version of coffee, but as long as I'm making it myself. Um, but today, because it is actually overcast here and cloudy and not quite nice, not n- a nice summer day, um, I actually am taking the cold brew and warming it up, if you can believe it. <laughs> so, oh my. So it's my. a hot, cold brew today because it is a better, <laughs> it's a smoother, it's a smoother coffee. That's what I realized. It's not, it takes all that kind of harshness out of sometimes when you just brew a hot coffee. So I've, you know. Really? It's never and, easy, and Heather- I guess, in my cup. <laughs>
2: <laughs> do you buy? Do you buy a special type of a grind? Do you use uh, a
3: name brand coffee? How how do you select the coffee for the cold brew process? Yeah, so my favorite coffee is the Lavazza, that crema aroma, which is a, um, an espresso bean, and I just for cold brew you actually have to grind it coarse because that, that helps um, enhance the flavor. Um, and it's a pretty simple. It's like w- literally a one-to-four ratio, one cup of grounds to four cups of water, and you just let it steep overnight. It's super easy. Um, but the results are I, I, quite amazing. If, if you haven't tried it, I would highly recommend anyone who likes coffee. Um, it makes a difference. It takes all that kind of acidity or that harshness that you get sometimes from the hot brewing process.
2: Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. And now let's go to Bill Powell at ARI. What is fueling you and your cup, and where are you calling from today, Mr. Powell?
4: Well, I'm calling from uh, sunny South Jersey, just outside of Philadelphia. I think it's sunny. At least it, looks, it was when I came in this morning. We'll see what happens today. <laughs> um, I'm actually uh, in the best of both worlds here, Bonnie, with this, with this coffee. I'm, uh, right in front of me right now is a, uh, is a caramel latte and uh, I, I, I'll i drink coffee during the day, but typically I like something like that in the morning, and just to digress a little bit, my daughter just turned 17, and she had to get a summer gig, so she's uh, got a job at Starbucks, so it works out in my favor quite a bit for discounts, so I'll swing by in the morning and pick something up, and she usually <laughs> yeah. mixes it up for me. Sometimes it's a, you know, she knows what dad likes, so sometimes it's a vanilla latte, sometimes it's a caramel latte, sometimes I'm completely lost, and I have to call her up and ask her what, was, what, what she put in my coffee.
2: Oh, my goodness gracious. Well, I'm glad you have that uh, relative of employee discount there. Very good to know. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yes, it's a little uh, not quite sunny here yet in New York on Long Island. We had I couldn't believe it rained all day yesterday. Heather, did it? Up yep, there in
3: Boston? Yeah. Not, no, actually, we didn't get any rain till last night, so we, we squeaked out a nice day yesterday, so oh. I can't complain too much. It started raining in the morning and it simply did
2: not quit uh, all day long. It was just really hard to believe. But everything is uh, greener this morning and we're still waiting for the sunshine and not out yet. And Bill Newman, it's your turn. Where are you?
5: Uh, Bonnie, I'm in the uh, Great Lakes state of Michigan. It's a beautiful day. Uh, in August, this is definitely where you want to be, where the weather suits your clothes. And um, I'm in Oakland County, just north of uh, Detroit, a few clicks. And what are you drinking? I'm drinking. Well, I do not have a private concierge barista like Mr. Powell does, <laughs> uh, but I do have. I do have um, a Touché. nice uh, French press that we tee up here in the, in the home office, and uh, and it's great. And uh, for those of you listeners who may recall, I also have an Irish cream recipe. Yes. And we just, rec- yes. So we yes. just recently went uh, to Ireland and visited the Teeling's Distillery. And their small batch will be, uh, the core of this year's holiday Irish cream recipe. So it's, uh, it's pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. Wanted to share that with, with you and our listeners.
2: Very exciting. I remember you were on some of our very earliest Game Changers radio shows four or five years ago, Bill Newman, and you were continually talking about your Irish cream recipe. And I remember, uh, very, very excited to have you back. And now, uh, well, I'm drinking water as always, but I'm going to keep from crying. We have uh, sad news the sponsor of the series, Larry Stoley, our car guy, passed away very suddenly and tragically about 10 days ago. So he's not on the show today, clearly. But we have asked our wonderful people at Voice America World Talk Radio to go through many of the previous shows and pull clips of Larry answering my question, what's in your cup today? So without further ado, we're going to close this segment and go to break so I can wipe my eyes. I asked Larry what's in your cup today and fond memories of Larry Stoley. Kevin, please roll the clip. So this is the part of the show called What's in Your Cup Today. Larry Stoley, where are you calling from and what are you drinking or what was your beverage of choice over the holidays?
6: I'm going to tell you, I'm boldly drinking what I always drink. My plain Mm -hmm. old Folgers. Black, (laughs) straight up, hot, not burned,
2: not burned.
6: But hot.
2: Let's go back around the table here to Larry Stoley. Larry, quickly, where are you calling from, and what's in your cup today that makes you smile? My coffee cup,
6: Bonnie, as you well know, is filled oh, with Folgers. Yeah. The coffee cup is a Yeti cup. So, you know, that's kind of me. Plain, simple, black, and hot.
2: <laughs> this is this is this is not a single stating hotline i promise anybody listening. <laughs> let's go around the table briefly and find out where each of our panelists are calling from and what's in their cup today larry you still carrying around that yeti and where are you today i
6: i am in my home office in grand Blanc, michigan um as you probably know i've got black coffee in my cup
2: uh now let's go to larry Stoley. larry where are you and what's in your cup today you have the yeti mug with you larry
6: yes i do i'm i'm in you. my home office where i normally reside and i'm drinking my usual straight black folgers coffee
2: larry Stoley, where art thou what are you drinking got anything new and how's the yeti mug coming along larry you talk about it a lot are you still enjoying it
6: yeah, it works very, very good. The only thing, attribute I have, is consistent and repeatable. I just drink my black coffee and I'm quite happy with it.
2: It's time for us to go to our What's in Your Cup Today and Where Are You Calling From round. So, Larry Stoley, where are you and what are you drinking?
6: I'm in my home office. The weather here is, is really nice, the sun is shining. Um, I drink Folgers. I drink black Folgers, Bonnie. I'm not exciting. I'm not adventuresome and so on. You know,
2: Larry, I every time I tell newcomers to the Game Changers radio shows what we do in this segment, I always quote you and I say, Larry has a Yeti mug. It keeps the hot <laughs> drinks hot and the cold drinks cold, and that's Larry Stoley's thing. And you all know the drill. We're going to find out where are you each calling from. And what's in your cup today? Larry will even ask you, because we know the answer anyway, but we'll ask you. Mr. Stoley, where are you today? I know you're not in Boston. And what are do you doing? Larry, surprise me.
6: I'm home office. How can I surprise you with Folgers, Bonnie? I I just (laughs) can't,
1: you know?
2: Oh, that was lovely. I have to do a special shout-out to Aaron on the team at World Talk Radio Voice America. Aaron, you did a spectacular job of pulling great memories from Larry. So all I'm going to say is we're going to go to a quick break, and when we come back, we will resume our interesting conversation about remote-controlled vehicles, not for kids anymore. Special guests, Heather Ashton at IDC, Bill Powell at ARI, Bill Newman at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. RIP.
1: SAP is excited to be a co-innovator with the automotive industry as we help automotive and related companies digitally transform their entire industry and disrupt their existing business models. The future of cars with Game Changers brings you insights from the people in the driver's seat who are making this happen. We'll delve into industry challenges and solutions that support ecosystem industries, all to help you succeed in transforming your business and business networks for success in the new digital networked age. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top technology and business strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how the automotive industry is shaping the future of change for all of us. For women, the pressure to achieve is
4: stronger, the work hours longer, and the struggle for respect and authority more complex than ever. You want guidance on how to succeed, and you are not alone. You're invited to take your coffee break with Game Changers on Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, for our special series, Game Changing Women. Powerful women leaders will help you make sense of it all, analyze how you can change the game, and share their playbooks. Game Changing Women, presented by SAP on the Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
1: You're listening to the Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the future of cars with Game Changers.
2: Absolutely, we're back, and it is a topic of great interest. If anybody was ever a kid with a remote-controlled car, this one's for you. Remote-controlled vehicles, not for kids anymore. We're talking about driverless vehicles in the realm of trucking, long-haul trucking, and even taxis. I don't know which one is scarier. Special panel today, Heather Ashton at IDC, Bill Powell at ARI, and Bill Newman at SAP. When I was putting my notes together, I thought how interesting. The company for each of our panelists is three letters, no Periods in between. I thought that was just very interesting where we're going with our alphabet soup and our culture today. So, Heather Ashton is going to kick off this part of the show, our roundtable. Let me read something from Heather's notes and then we'll get going. She says, Tech companies are considering the truck driver role as transitioning to one that's much more reasonable than current conditions. They do not think they are displacing drivers, but rather helping drivers into a more
3: sustainable career. Heather, very Provocative talk to us. Sure, thanks, Bonnie. Um, So, you know, as a kind of ground setting for the conversation. You know, what we're seeing in the market is this whole uh, move toward remote operations of fleets. Bill Newman mentioned sort of the, you know, who's going to own the fleet, who wants to own the fleet in the future. And that really is a discussion for this entire industry to kind of figure out. Um, And the fleets could be, you know, trucks, they can be cars, they could be taxis. um, But what we're looking at from a a remote operations perspective is there are some tech startups that are focusing specifically on remotely operating long-haul trucking. Um, so the use case is where the operator sits in an operation center um, that is strategically located within cities or at the edges, and they remotely operate these fleets of vehicles. Um, examples are Convoy, which is one of the companies, Starsky Robotics, you mentioned as well, mm-hmm. um, Auto, which, of course, was purchased by Uber. So so the notion here is, you know, what what um, there's a lot of kind of, you know, discussion going on around what happens you know, you're going to displace an entire industry of, of truck drivers and taxi operators, right? There's like, I think the in the U.S. alone, you know, there's a million, you know, kind of, or 3.5 million truck drivers in the U.S. alone. I mean, that's a pretty big number. But mm-hmm. the, what I wanted to raise is, um, in you know, contrast to that, is in many cases, it's an industry that is actually in a lot of stress right now. Um, the, the standard um, annualized turnover rate for drivers at large truckload fleets is, So it is not, there's currently, you know, almost 50,000 openings for trucking positions in the U.S. So this is a, this is a job that is not easy to fill. It's not easy to keep the truckers because they're going long, you know, long distances. They're away from their families. They're not able to have sort of a normal kind of, you know, um, quality of life as far as being on the road versus off the road. So the idea is that maybe this technology can actually help you know, rep- um, not displace them, but change what their role is. And that would be perhaps they're in the operations center helping understand the nuances of moving those long-haul trucks between, you know, cities. And then maybe they, when, the, you know, the truck pulls off the highway, then a, then a truck driver steps in and they, they take it to the last, you know, the last mile and, and around the local route before it then goes back onto the highway again. So I think there are a lot of opportunities here from a technology perspective, to solve a problem instead of, you know, as many people are talking about, kind of displacing all of these workers.
2: Very interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, blending the driverless and the human. Bill Powell, yeah. this is your area of the world. What do you see? What do you agree or disagree with, Heather? And, and uh, what do you think will happen? Yeah, a couple points.
4: So um, really good information from Heather there, and, and I think to, to level set this a little bit, because um, we, we get in these discussions quite a bit with our customers and, and other industry experts, we're really talking about a, a industry that's focused on uh, over-the-road transport, right? These Class 7, Class 8 tractors, these big tractor trailers you see on the road that are hauling material you know, across the country or from point A to point B, it gets a little diluted sometimes because when we talk about this, some people think that it's every single truck that you see out there on the road. And it's not. it may have to that eventually, but for right now, it's really focused on a very unique market, as Heather pointed out. Um, and where I think it can really help, and it's already starting to help, is the augmentation of what that driver does right now, meaning that can we make that driver safer? Um, you're starting to see a progression mm-hmm. of that technology, not only in the trucks but also in light-duty cars. It's been around for a long time, right, where lane departure systems and other technology where it's starting to aid the driver, and it's starting to come, it's it's already in the track, it's already in the tractor without them even knowing it sometimes. So you're, I'm, I'm seeing this as a progression as you move forward. As, as far as you, as far as the protecting the jobs, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's, 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 I agree with Heather, it's one of those areas where, if we can help those drivers um, be more productive, do something maybe a little bit different, advance their career, if they want to do that, that's fantastic. I'm, happy to read, I'm reading an article right now that was published by Carnegie Mellon four days ago. It's in front of me. And it's not on the U.S., but it's specifically on India and their take on autonomous vehicles. And their, um, their minister of, of uh, transport and highway basically put his foot down and said, we will not have autonomous vehicles in India and the sole reason for that is because their unemployment rate, and we will not uh, implement new technology where it further removes jobs. I found that pretty interesting because if you look at all the counter arguments to that and, and, the, and the benefits in terms of reducing smog, making the, making the roads safer, uh, making things more efficient, uh, the, the unemployment rate, in their eyes, far outweighs those benefits. So it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next few years
2: real wow very interesting so the government is saying no 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 you're not going to come on our roads keep your high tech highfalutin high tech driverless your remote control fun in the real adult world stay away from us and and that's just do you think that will change over time as the industry evolves and and you see some good things for the actual for the physical drivers the human drivers or do you think it's going to be that way a long long time bill i i think
4: I think it's going to be. You're going to see an evolution, right? I think you're going to have that downward pressure. Um, this is a. In my, in my eyes, it seems like a very reactionary type of response.
2: Yeah.
4: Uh, I'm sure it's well thought out, but it, to me, it's on the surface. It seems very reactionary, yeah. and as, you know, like anything else, as time progresses, as uh, different economies, U.S., Europe, they start to implement and embrace this technology, and they drive efficiencies. If you want to compete, mm-hmm. you're going to have to embrace it all. So you don't have to get on board.
2: Yeah, thank you very much. Good good response there. Bill Newman, love to get your thoughts. Driverless trucks, workforce impact, what do you see?
5: Well, I, I think uh, just to build on what uh, what Heather and Bill were, were just saying, I, I think that uh, oh, oh, the technology is coming and it is going to have an impact on our workforce. I mean, we've, we've got uh, situations where, you know, we, we can do platooning. The technology is there. Even just last week as a part of the Center for Automotive Research Um, management briefing seminars up in uh, Traverse City, Michigan. There was Continental and Magna drove a 300-mile trip across the U.S. and Canadian roads, including a pass through the Detroit-Windsor Tunnel um, in a Level 3 autonomous um, um, segment. So in that way, you're looking at, you know, again, it comes back to the big question, you know, what's the fleet? You know, the technology is there. Um, and we've proven it out to, to level three um, autonomous driving where it's, it's your, your hands, you know, you're available in it to be able to take over if you need to from a safety perspective. But clearly the the, the driver is, is, is pretty much touch free. Um, I, I like the idea of the last mile. I think that uh, it is very difficult to find uh, transportation workers who can do the long haul away from their family. Um, you know, at a certain point, uh, the pay break even just isn't there and you're able to find, particularly in a world of full employment like we pretty much have today, you're able to find other options that are a better work-life balance. So I do think that the way we do the work in transportation is going to change, but for us passengers that um, view view autonomous driving or connected autonomous um, shared electrified case type of Vehicle potential is is something of the future that we can benefit from to increase mobility. Um, I think all of these are again happening at the right time in the right place. And uh, you know, to to Bill's point, uh, governments are going to have to come on board. In the, the recent case of the um, the autonomous vehicles driving through uh, the province of Ontario internationally and into the state of Michigan, I think is a is a very positive example of of, of collaboration between government agencies.
2: Thank you very much. You know, we talk about on our uh, Smart Cities, Future of Smart Cities series, Bill, we talk about collaboration among agencies, among government entities, among interesting, interested uh, residents and, and proactive people, and, and you just gave us a great example of that. Thank you very much. Heather, I'm going to scoot around the table to you and ask, do you have anything you want to wrap up on this part of our discussion that the Bill P and Bill N added to?
3: yeah just to kind of reiterate that whole notion of the of the government's role in the collaboration um and it ties back to my quote about control. I think that we really need to to take a look at this and consider it from all angles and with an open mindset. so what some of the governments are doing in terms of trying to prohibit or or um, you know yield too much control over this process uh, is not necessarily positive, but you know we really need to think about it again from all those perspectives and and really Focus less about the fear, right, and the control and, and understand that as with any kind of, you know, think about the industrial um, age and revolution, right? If, you, if they had controlled factories because they thought everyone should be farmers still, you know, we'd never mm-hmm. be where we are today. So technology is inevitably going to push us forward. We need to be um, trusting enough to understand that, that it's, it can be for the positive if we, if we look at it the right way
2: if we look at it isn't that true about life in general Heather <laughs> if we look, very very wise if we look at it the right way and the question is if who is looking at it our way and is our way the right way I know that, that's absolutely right there's a lot of opinion going on here and, and speaking of opinion let's go to some notes here from Bill Powell at ARI Bill I'm looking at your notes and here's something I think is very provocative we were I was talking in my opening about how will we coexist we human drivers <clears throat> excuse me sharing roads highways and byways as they used to say, with driverless remote-controlled trucks and taxis. We didn't get to taxis yet, but we will. <clears throat> that's a whole, I think that's a whole other show. But here's a, a quote Bill picked up from the University of Michigan's Transport Research Institute. Listen to this. Vehicles operated by an alert, experienced, middle-aged driver are safer than vehicles that are autonomous. However... The drivers in the tails, meaning new drivers and older drivers, have a tough time competing with the safety record of autonomous vehicles. Wow. Covered all the bases there on the spectrum. Bill Powell, tell us more. This is interesting.
4: I I found this very interesting. I was out doing some research for this, obviously, and for some other things uh, of interest, and uh, this This really jumped out at me, and what I was curious about, more from an academia perspective, is is, is this truly uh, what we're seeing now is that, uh, and we we're hearing that obviously autonomous are are you know, safer, and uh, Tesla is an example, and other manufacturers they learn as they move along, right? They have machine learning and a little bit of artificial intelligence into these things and and they're they're learning as they go along. and so of humans. but how 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 effective is that? And when I took a look at this article and read it, I said, you know, this, this kind of makes sense. You have um, uh, right now a middle-aged, and say middle-aged driver, but that's, I'm squarely in that. So a middle middle-aged driver. What is middle age?
2: What, what is middle age today, Bill? What are we talking here?
4: 40 to 60, 50 to 70, uh, they're, they're 20 to 40? 40s, yeah, 40s to 50s, right around there, so. Oh,
2: you're scaring me
4: <laughs> oh, Funny, you're... It probably extends beyond that.
2: <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. Okay, good. go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, I had to ask. I was protecting my protecting my generation here. Go ahead.
4: Well, well no, I had to look in the mirror on that one, too. I was like, well, that's actually me right now. Um, but anyway... <laughs> So it makes sense, and the reason for it, once I got into the article, there's things that you just take for granted right now that you do in a vehicle that you gain with experience. If you're going to lose it. It will degrade as you go forward, as you get older, and you, you know, you're, you're not, your reactions aren't as quick. Um, you know, there's other things possibly going on around you. But while you're in that sweet spot, while you're a middle-aged driver with a tremendous amount of experience, there's things that, again you just take for granted, such as uh, they they mention they're craning your neck. So things like hey you're looking up, looking around, you know you you're you kind of have your head on a swivel looking around. It's very difficult for sensors to do that right now. They're going to get there, uh, make m- no doubt about that. But for right now, things like that, being able to tell um, uh, when an edge starts and when an edge stops, so they call it edge detection. Uh, it's very easy, right? We can we can see things differently than sensors can right now. Trying to pick things up like that is difficult. Lanes that aren't, I don't know about you, where you are in New York, but here in Jersey, the roads, uh, we've got a lot of potholes. We've got a lot of lanes that aren't painted very clearly. And for us to pick that up as humans driving, it's it's just you know second nature. You don't think anything about it or of it. Uh, with sensors, they rely on that information. They rely on clear indications right now. They'll get smarter as time progresses, but for right now, Middle aged drivers, we've got a little bit of an edge on them.
2: Oh, my, you're killing me here. By the way, uh, my mom, who passed away in March, uh, she and I, for 17 years, co-hosted a cable TV show called Senior Moments, The Happy Ones, okay? And it was I I picked the title of the series as a joke, Senior Moments. Everybody said, oh, you're having one of those? No, it was The Happy Ones. We were seniors and happy. But the way I designated our age difference, I'm revealing a lot here, was I called mom, who passed away at the age of 100, uh, and she had me very late in life, so there is a, quite a wide age spread between us. I called her the senior senior and me the junior senior. So I'm not sure I can even get onto the edges of the middle age spectrum anymore. But I was typing in the chat to our engineer, Kevin, here. I said, damn, middle age, 40s. Oh, no, I'm a junior senior. So there we go. Thank you for that. Bill, very interesting statistics. Bill Newman, love to get your thoughts on this. What do you think? Surprised?
5: Well, I think so. I think we always come back to the um, you know if you look at the millennials and uh, I'm a father of four millennials. So um, you know Bless what you. are their views moving forward? And and a few trends that I that I look at is nobody's in a real rush to hurry to get their driver's license because they they live in a ride sharing, um, friend sharing economy. They're just used to that. Um, they're generally not uh, not particularly interested in making large large asset purchases, and and moving forward, um, a lot of the same behaviors you see that normally we would have expected in urban environments in terms of getting from point A to point B with taxis and now ride sharing and, and even car sharing, we're seeing extended out into the suburbs and, and even into some rural areas. So
3: um, I think I think.
5: I think we're all learning to live with technology regardless of our generations. But I do think that there are going to be some significant changes in the way the millennials or the the next generation, whatever we want to call them, Gen Z centennials, what have you, Mm -hmm. will, will really perceive what it is to move from place to place. And, and I don't think that it's necessarily going to be a drive. And it's not just how we move, but also how we move our stuff. So we come back around to trucking and transport and moving things. Uh, Portland, Oregon, you can get a zip card and you can run the Target or Ikea and get that, you know, get that put together couch or the, you know, big uh, big box store full of groceries. And uh, your experience with your zip card can be all of maybe three hours. You don't have to you don't have to have a large vehicle or a truck or a van to to move stuff from point A to point B that you own. And so I think that's 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 changing things and it's changing things both from a retail perspective all the way up to a um, commercial transportation um, perspective. and uh, how we view it it's it is going to change, but I think it's going to change in a soft not so disruptive way, because I think generations are just frankly pretty used to it already, yeah, yeah. yep.
2: getting used to it i that, I think that's the the nut we have to crack here. Heather, let's go around the table to you. What are your thoughts?
3: Sure. Yeah, I definitely agree that there's that getting used to it. I agree. Um, I'll I'll age myself self as well and say that I have three digital natives in my house. So that's the generation beyond the millennials, which means that they were basically born with some kind of smart device in their hand. Um, and so I do think that that is completely changing the way we're going to see the future. Um so, so, with that in mind, i I definitely you know agree that technology is going to support that change. i think I think Bill Powell made a very good point about the the current sort of safety versus the future um, in terms of the human versus eventually that sort of machine learning algorithm will take over and the technology will will be able to kind of come up to speed to the human um, and and I would point out um, we've mentioned Starsky Robotics but they're a great example so this is back to the truck driving they actually um, they have coders and actual truck drivers that they hire as employees of a tech startup together in the, in the cab of those big long-haul trucks, working together so that the human, the truck driver, who has the experience can explain to the coder what's going on here and why would I do this differently or, you know, how did the truck respond, you know, again, the algorithms that are being, you know, built into the autonomous part. Um, so I think that's a very important thing, that knowledge transfer. So in the beginning, it has to be that kind of marriage of the human and the technology. And then as time goes on, eventually, yes, the, the technology will be able to kind of take, take over essentially. So I think we are in a, a very interesting, you know, kind of point. And I And I think um, also to that point, again, as a millennials and, and not wanting to be the asset purchasers, et cetera, I, I, it, it'd be hard-pressed to find a millennial or a digital native who wants to take on a truck driving job, right, and be away from their family, be away from, yeah. you know, their, their social hub or whatever, right? So that's not necessarily a career path for, for many of the, the kids and, you know, young adults who are coming, coming of age these days. So that's another issue.
2: Very interesting. They wouldn't mind driving a remote or a long distance truck on a uh, on a, a video game, I'm thinking, where they yeah. get to talk right. about right. how many hours they drove without I don't know, pulling off the road. Thank you, Heather. Bill Powell, this was your topic. You want to wrap it up for us before I move to something from Mr Newman, please?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I actually I, I agree with, with uh with Heather and Bill on this and I'll give you some first hand experience as far as uh, new drivers, and this is a shock to me, uh, young people that are you know, 17, 18, 19, 20, whatever, right around that age. Um, I don't know about you, but when I was that age, I couldn't wait to get a car, right, and, and buy it and go somewhere and do something, and, and you have that freedom. Oh. I was just two months ago, I was over at uh, one of the universities in Philadelphia, I gave presentations to grad students. I was at Drexel University giving a presentation uh, regarding business analytics. And, and, and you know me, I'm up there, and I have to relate everything back to our car or truck. So I'm talking about business analytics and the applicability to cars and trucks. And usually it usually goes over very well because people can relate. You know, you can touch it, feel it, you have something. I had nothing but blank stares from all these grad, and these are grad students, from grad, mm-hmm. from about 30 grad students. And I said, let me see a show of hands. Does anyone here have a car or truck? No one raised their hand, not, wow. not one in the entire class. And that was a shock for me. I'm like, okay, it's starting to happen at this point. Um, so, yeah, we're we're starting to, we're, you know, absolutely. Are we starting to see it? It's it's already happening, Donnie.
2: Very interesting. And speaking of already happening, I'm looking at Mr. Bill Newman's notes here, William, and a uh, couple of things very interesting to me. I'm going to read... Two statements. One, let me just tag on to what Bill Powell said, Bill Newman, and then I'm going to tell you where I really want you to go with this. You say, this phenomenon is happening as we speak. Auto, O-T-T-O, the autonomous trucking venture acquired by Uber is real. Could it be that we will see autonomous vehicle zones for over-the-road or long-haul trucks and highways or taxi zones in cities? Give me a quick comment on that, Bill Newman, because I want to go somewhere else with this. But, but what do you think?
5: Well, I think the answer is yes, and I think the the funny thing is, is that we may actually see Uber being Uberized by by its own self. So, um, what I mean by that is, is that uh, you know today, if you, if you want, there are ride sharing programs where you can go and you can, if you don't own a vehicle and you, you want to uh, do some ride sharing, you can go lease a vehicle to then drive people so they can ride share. But the fact is, is that again, coming back to whether you're taking people or stuff in in the future when we get to level four autonomy, you're you're not going to need a driver. So this really comes back to the whole displacement of of, of the human as a necessary operator of a vehicle and what this transportation. Or getting people or people's stuff from point A to point B. In the interim, while we're still working on the technology, improving it out, making sure that governments are okay with it and policies are in place to allow it to happen, um, you will still need to have these more transitional business models. But moving forward, um, even even auto will be fully autonomous, and you know pods will come and go with your stuff and people and, you know, it, it will look very, very differently. To Bill's point earlier, you know, you, already you don't, you see people who, who don't own a vehicle moving well into their 30s and, you know, in the future, um, they may not rent cabs or they may not rent trucks like we see it today, but simply, you know, pods will show up to move people and stuff.
2: Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. I, I still love my little sports car. I'm still happy to have my fourth, fourth generation Z. Shockingly, I drive so little because I I, uh, run radio here from my home office that the car is a 2008 350Z in perfect condition and it has less than 30,000 miles on it because I vintage, don't go anywhere. Vintage,
5: Bonnie. If That's it, what our kids would be. You're talking call about that, you're me or
2: my vintage. car. <laughs> me or my car now, Mr. Newman. I still like you. Here's where I really wanted to go with this, and thanks for the comments about auto. I'm posting an article here, a link to an article on TechCrunch about uh, Uber acquires auto to lead Uber self-driving car effort report says. So I'm going to post that here, and here is what we want to talk about. You say there are currently offices I assume business offices, that are pioneering the use of driverless vehicles to pick up and drop off workers between the business parking lot and the work facilities, and then you add parking lots can be dangerous. An average of 221 people die in parking lot accidents annually. I assume U.S., according to an NHTSA study from 2008, the year my car was new. Bill Newman, seriously, parking lot accidents. Who's causing the accidents?
5: Well, it, it's not just the parking lot because you've got you've got humans and racing for that. What is what does that seem from from fried green tomatoes wherever where. where where the two cars try to buy for the same parking spot, and, and the one just slams into the other, and he says, "You know, I'm older and I have more insurance, so <laughs> it's my parking spot, right?" Vintage. It sound, vintage.
2: It sounds like a Long Island shopping mall any Saturday yeah, or Sunday any,
5: of the any week. Any Saturday, any Saturday. Some some weekends worse than others. Um, so back to the briefing that we just had with the Center of Automotive Research, there was a statistic floated around. People spend 30, 30 hours a year, uh, it seems small to me in some metro markets, but maybe that's a national average, um, looking for parking. So once you get into a parking uh, a parking environment, just going up and down, uh, what we sometimes in California used to call vulturing, where you basically sit in the lot and you wait for a spot. Um, to open, so that's a lot of wasted time. Um, there's there's obviously a little bit of parking lot rage that happens, like we were just joking about earlier. So um, there are technologies um, that are emerging and have been proven that can minimize the amount of time that we spend um, looking for parking spots. So it can alert you as you're coming off a freeway what your available parking spots and open parking lots might be, the price if they're free municipal, et cetera, also if it will fit your vehicle. Um, And as well, um, you know, holding those spots for you so that you go and and helping you to semi-autonomous or autonomous park your vehicle. So it sounds sounds odd to talk about parking as a major flashpoint issue, Um, but the fact is is that it is a huge, huge opportunity um, both to just remove stress and to improve, Um, the performance of people getting from place A to place B.
2: Very interesting. And you know what? That takes us up to just about up to our crystal ball predictions round. Uh, Two things. I think Heather probably remembers I mentioned on previous shows that when I lived in North Cambridge in Cambridge, Mass., the way people reserved their parking spots was. This is back in the day when the <laughs> husband worked and the wife stayed home in most of my neighbors' houses. My husband was at a Harvard Architecture, and I was finishing up my bachelor's at Boston University, and my three-year-old was in uh, a Radcliffe Daycare. <laughs> it was quite an interesting family unit we had there. And um, I remember that the wife would come out at around 3 in the afternoon, and she would put the big metal garbage cans in front of the house. And block the place where the husband's car would be when he comes home. He came home from work. And that's how you reserve parking, and there were no fights among neighbors. You knew if Dolores next door put out two cans, you know that her husband Richard was going to come home and have a damn parking space in front of his house where his car belonged, and don't mess with Dolores or the garbage cans. That's the way it went. Uh, You know, we didn't cover taxis autonomous taxis and I, I it's too late in the show we only have a few minutes left but uh, heather and bill and bill i'm going to propose that we do another segment what do you think should we should we do a redux of this topic and cover the taxi industry i don't know if, if all three of you would be right for that panel but should we talk about that afterwards heather and bill and bill yeah you think? i think that's a great idea it has because it has yeah, different implications than the trucking definitely Good, good. So I'll tell uh, David Fowler, who was our uh, Future of Business with Game Changers sponsor, I hope he comes back next year. Apparently, he's going to be working with me on setting up the future of this series, the next two episodes in Larry's absence. So, Heather, let's look into that crystal ball. However sparkly it may or may not be on this slightly drab day, still no sunshine here on Long Island. Heather Ashton, what's gonna happen with remote controlled vehicles, driverless, autonomous trucks? Let's stay away from taxis for now. Around twenty twenty or any time you see in the future, Heather, I can give you a whole
3: whopping sixty seconds. They're
6: all yours. Go ahead. <laughs>
3: I'll talk fast. Um, so twenty twenty, <laughs> that's a short time frame. But I, I will say that by 2020, twenty twenty, twenty twenty one we will see this on, on the roadways. We'll see this um, in between again. Long haul. Think about the long stretches of highway in the U.S. and Europe. It's already happening in Europe today. Um, I think that we. I think the remote operations is the way to go because it will actually kind of assuage some of that fear from a regulation, regulatory government perspective by thinking that there still is a human keeping an eye on it, um, and I think that will kind of test out the early stages and you know kind of um, smooth out the bumps. And, and determine, you know, what is the business model? What's the feasibility going forward? What is the safety? What are the issues? And, and how, you know, how we start to make this transition as an industry for the trucking industry.
2: Okay, thank you very much. Brief and to the point, uh, efficient. And Mr. Powell, you're up, 60 seconds. What do you see? What would you like to predict from your vantage point at ARI? So from
4: from, from what we're seeing right now, Bonnie, is uh, we're, seeing a, we're already starting to see the progression. And we're... Our customers, the fleet customers, are starting to use this are in um, controlled areas, so mining in different areas where you can actually build a geofence and rope the area off, and these and these uh, vehicles can run autonomously. But if a human enters, it shuts down. You're going to see that progression move forward, and to get out onto the highway, I think the real tipping point is going to be is the is the V2V, the vehicle to vehicle communication, right? It's going to be it's going to be very critical, kind of analogous to that area there. To make sure that we communicate, make sure that these autonomous vehicles are communicating very effectively to everything else around it. It's just not, hey, we can go down the road, but how is everyone else reacting to those vehicles, and what can be done? Uh, so, the emergence of V2V, the emergence of uh, the five G networks, so there's a lot more information bandwidth that can be shared between these vehicles. I think ultimately that's going to be the tipping point, and my prediction is going to be right around 2023.
2: Thank you very much. And Bill Newman, I say, oh Bill Newman, I have a breaking news flash for you here because they were so concise I can give you ninety seconds. Be still my heart. Go ahead, Bill Newman, <laughs> talk to me. What do you see? What do you see in the crystal ball, with or without the Irish cream?
5: <laughs> right. Um, well I'm gonna to defer to uh, to Heather and Bill because I think they netted out where we are with, with technology and where likely that's going to land. I think that uh, level four autonomous vehicles is is a thing that's coming. And, and to, to net out the technology, how we do V, V2V or, um, as, as Delphi likes to call it, V2E, V2, you know, vehicle to everything, whether it's infrastructure, vehicle, humans, cats, gear. Other obstacles in the road. I I think that that's that's coming. And now the question is, what are the business models that we're going to use in order to take advantage of all of that technology? I still think coming back around to my a little bit glib wizard of quote at the front of the show. Mm -hmm. um, There's still a lot of positioning going on. Who's going to own the fleet? And I think in the end, it's going to be a a segmentation of different user communities, and, and maybe we'll talk about that more in future shows. But whether you're buying from an OEM brand and that's your your vehicle community fleet that you pull from, or maybe it's it's a heterogeneous fleet uh, that that maybe a fleet uh, organization like an ARI or or a uh, uh, or an organization that uh, traditionally would uh, do car rentals would operate. Or whether it's going to be something that's a hybrid altogether, where it's, it's just going to be innocuous pods that that run around and pick people and their stuff up. Um, how people make those transportation products and put them into service—we haven't figured out what that value chain is because everybody's trying to figure out where they can make um, where they can monetize it. That's going to be the interesting thing to see. Be interesting to see if a big vehicle OEM today that has dealerships isn't actually a Tier 2 or a Tier 3 to who the the actual fleet owner is that we use um, their products from in the future. So I'm really looking forward to see how that shakes out.
2: Thank you, Bill Newman. Thank you, Bill Powell. Thank you, Heather Ashton. Special shout out to Aaron at World Talk Radio. Spectacular job editing clips from our Dearly departed and sorely, Miss Larry Stoley. we had a great Twitter party going on here. I want to do a quick shout-out to SAP Industries, Keshanta and Thank you very much, Kesha. Appreciate that. Heather, you talk and you tweet at the same time. I'm a big fan. Channel Reach, uh, Dave Parrish at SAP Parish underscore Denver. Raj Bal, ASUG Auto, The View C Level, Gampy, and SAP Press EPM. Thank you all very much again. Rest in peace, Larry Stoller. We miss you. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. In honor of Larry, here is my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Heather Ashton, just like Bill Powell, just like Bill Newman. And thank you also to our engineer extraordinaire, as always, Kevin Gasman at World Talk Radio. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. I'll be back in one hour. Count them along with me with partnerships changing the game with digital transformation right here, 12 noon Eastern, on the Business Channel. Have a great one. Talk to you soon.
1: Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.